guys know, I, uh, I am currently going to school at Moody Bible Institute. Uh, I've been taking online courses. And uh, a part of me preaching this sermon this morning is me finishing up a class on communicating biblical truth. It's essentially uh, an intro into preaching. So um, I've been preparing this sermon for eight weeks, give or take. So hopefully it shows. We shall see. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just read the text I'm going to be preaching from this morning, and then we will dive in. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. It says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, come before you this morning and ask that you would uh, just be with us, help us to know and see you clearly this morning, open our hearts and our ears to your word, help me to uh, articulate and preach well uh, this scripture uh, to better uh, draw us closer to you and uh, help us to fall more in love with you, Lord, uh, just lift this time up to you, it's in your beautiful name we pray, amen. So, um, as most of you all know, uh, Actually, maybe most of you don't know this about me, but you're about to find out. I really enjoy watching snowfall. It's actually really quite pretty. There was a time earlier in the winter when uh, the flakes were uh, really big and the wind actually wasn't blowing. It was just coming down. It was just, it was just beautiful. Now, my time of enjoying the snowfall has actually ended because I'm actually tired of the snow falling. And I know most of you will agree with me. Right? We're, we're plum tired of it. And shovel and shovel. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so, <laughs> there, there he goes again, shoveling again. Um, probably going to happen on Monday, I'm sure. Um, and, and so, I've been thinking a lot about snow then, obviously, because I've been out there shoveling a good amount. And so, the, there are are two types of people when it comes to, or there's two things, I guess, that'd be a better way to put it. There are two things that go on when we want to remove the snow, right? We want to shovel the snow, and what most shovelers do is they put their back into it, they have a tool, and they're using their own muscle and their own strength to move the snow out of the way and pile it higher onto the almost four-foot-high wall that we have built up on our sidewalks, right? And that's what the shoveler does. In his own strength, he's pushing the snow He's lifting it up, and he's heaving it out of the way. And then the other type is the plower, right? The plower is the type of person who is sitting comfortably in their cushy seat, most of the time in an enclosed uh, cab, and they are allowing the engine, or the motor, and the plow to do the pushing for the snow uh, for them. And so this morning as we dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to be asking a question over and over again. I'm going to be asking you, and it'll make more sense as we get through it, but I'm going to be asking you, 
if Paul, the Apostle Paul, is a shoveler or a plower? And then hopefully at the end of the sermon, we can ask ourselves the same question. We can ask ourselves, are we shovelers or are we plowers? And again, that'll make more sense as we dive into the text. And actually, before I dive into the text, I should give a little background on 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was obviously written by the Apostle Paul. Um, 2 Corinthians can be a confusing read because if you... It's kind of like, have you ever walked into the middle of a, you walk into your living room and you haven't been there in a while and the TV's going and there's something going on on the TV and you quite don't understand what's going on? Does that make sense? Like maybe you're out of the house and you come home and your wife's watching a TV show and you have no idea what's going on and it takes you a while to kind of figure it out. That's kind of like walking, that's kind of like reading 2 Corinthians. And the reason is, is in between 1 and 2 Corinthians in our Bibles, there were other letters that were written by Paul to the church of Corinth. I believe there was two more that didn't actually make it into the canon of Scripture. So it can almost be kind of confusing jumping into it because there seems to be a lot going on that we didn't see in the previous letter that we have in the Bible. And so in order to understand it, we kind of have to unpack uh, the background uh, just a tad bit. And I'm mostly going to focus at the end of the letter because the beginning of the letter, Paul is defending the gospel. Um, because what has happened is these, um, and I, I love what Paul does here because he calls them super apostles. He's actually being sarcastic. Um, and he's coming out against these super apostles. And what he's saying is they're coming into this church and they're preaching a gospel that is contrary to the gospel that Paul had preached. And then in the second half of the letter, which is where we'll be focusing on, he's actually defending his apostleship, but he's doing it in a way that is contrary to the way that these super apostles would have uh, presented themselves. What was happening is these super apostles were coming in and they were saying, you know, I had a vision from the Lord and um, I'm an apostle, I'm a Jew of the Jews. And, and what they were doing was is they were boasting in their worthiness and their goodness. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to do almost the opposite, but at the same time, he's also going to uh, point out why he's worthy to be an apostle. But he's going to do it by bragging of his weaknesses rather than his strengths. And so in order for us to kind of understand what's going on in this particular passage we're talking about, we have to make mention of that. And I kind of wanted to talk about, starting in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, to give a little context, Paul has been... um, what he, what he calls engaging in foolishness. And what he's doing is he's, uh, and I'll just read verse 1, it'll make more sense. He, he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And essentially what he does after this is he talks about how he had seen these great visions and revelations of, uh, from God. That he, was, he, he says, I was taken up to heaven, whether physically or if it was just a vision, I don't know, God knows. And he talks about it, but he doesn't give any details about it. He just says it happened. And actually, in the text, he talks third person as if it wasn't him that does it, that, that experienced it, but he um, later uh, articulates that he was the one who experienced these great visions from God. And so then, as we jump into verse 7, it'll help us to make a little more sense of what he's talking about. That he had, um, So, verse 7, it says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Um, Scholars have debated for years what Paul's thorn was. 
Uh, some say that his thorn was maybe depression or anxiety or worry. It was something he just, um, there's some texts that talk about he, how he was worried about uh, the churches that he had planted and he was praying for them fervently. And, and maybe he struggled with depression and anxiety because of that. Um, most likely what the case is, it was a physical thing that prevented him from doing ministry to the best of his abilities. Something physical, most likely. And so most likely this thorn was something that made him look weak to the outside world. Now, the question then has to be asked, did, why did Paul get this thorn? And obviously the answer is right in the text, right? He says it. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Conceited uh, essentially means um, excessive pride in oneself. So if you're a conceited person, you're very fond of yourself, right? And so because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations that Paul had experienced, God gave him a thorn to keep him humble, to keep him from becoming the type of person who is conceited, and, 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 and to keep him from becoming like these so-called super apostles uh, that we had talked about, that he's addressing actually in this particular point in the text. And... So the first point for my sermon, and I have four, is in this first verse, in verse 7, Paul tells us a why for weakness. A why. Notice I don't say the why for weakness. I said a why for weakness. And here's what I mean by that. Most of the time when we experience tragedy or pain or, or weaknesses, we don't, we don't always necessarily know why they're happening, right? And so what Paul is saying is, is that he has identified humbly what this weakness could be. He says, I've been given this thorn, and it was given to me by God to keep me from becoming conceited. And it's actually a good thing that Paul didn't tell us what the thorn specifically was because now it becomes relatable to us, right? It becomes relatable to us because if we have a particular thorn, a particular weakness, a particular uh, thing that uh, prevents us from being the, from the outside world best person we can be, we can relate to Paul and identify it as an opportunity to steer away from pride and honestly, to steer away from like self-loathing and self, that being the point. See, the point is, is what Paul does in this first part is he steers away from himself and he points to God. He's already, he's trusting in God. He's putting his hope in him and he's not focused on himself. He's focused on how can God get glory through this thorn? Oh, I know, it keeps me from being conceited. It keeps me from being prideful and too fond of myself because I've seen some really cool things, guys. And to keep me from becoming full of self, God has given me something to keep me humble, to keep me grounded, to keep me glorified and focused on the Lord. And uh, the next point is, uh, it's where does God go? God goes towards prayer, right? The next verse says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. This prayer reveals a few things about Paul. One, Paul's not a masochist. You know what a masochist is? A masochist is a person who like, enjoys pain and wants to suffer. A lot of people can look at 
like the life of Paul and maybe assume because a lot of bad stuff happened to him that maybe that's the kind of person he was. But he wasn't. He was a he was a human. He was a person who struggled and didn't want this. Like he wanted it to go away. It hurt, and he didn't want to deal with it anymore. And so he goes to God and he pleads three times that it should leave him. God runs to or Paul runs to God in prayer. And again, it's not to self. He doesn't run into himself. He doesn't get consumed with self. He runs to the Lord. Another example of this is Jesus himself. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I probably said that wrong. Um, Before he was arrested to be crucified, he's in the garden and he's praying. And he's saying what? He's saying, may this cup leave me. If there's another way that this can uh, be fixed, Lord, let me like, take this cup from me. But then what does he say? He says, but not your will, Lord. Or not my will, Lord. Your will be done. And so he, again, is steering away from self. But he's admitting. He's a human. He's, he's being real. And he's saying, I don't want to do this. But if it's your will, I'll do it. And same goes for Paul. He's pleading with the Lord. He's saying, I don't want to deal with this thorn. But as we revealed in the previous verse, he's saying that he realizes why it's there, and he seems to be content in it so far. And it reveals to us that a part of being a Christian in this life for us is that we are called to go to God in prayer and talk to him and be real with him. We don't have to be fake and be like, you know, say, you know, we we get sick or something. We don't have to be the type of people that's like, ah, thanks, God, I'm so glad that I'm sick. Yay, go me. No, we can be real. I don't want this, Lord. I want, uh, I want to be healed. That's okay to want that. But at the end of the day, we have to be like Paul and we have to be like Jesus and be willing to be like, but if this, if this stays, I'm, I'm going to trust you anyways. I'm going to trust you anyways, Lord. And what actually makes this even harder is uh, Jesus does, in fact, answer him, right? And the next verse says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, right? Notice there he says, but he said. Essentially what that means is he asks God to take the thorn away and heal him. And Jesus essentially says no. No. Request denied. I'm not going to take that thorn out of you, Paul. But here's why. And he gives us, he gives us a why. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so what Jesus is saying to Paul is that, and one thing can be pointed out here, guys, is, is if we realize, we, we think about grace a lot, and when we think about grace, we think about grace as uh, salvation, right? It's through grace alone that we are saved from our deserving penalty of hell, right? And what Paul is revealing to us when we look at this text is, Paul, uh, is grace doesn't just save us, it sustains us. It sustains us in this life. It's not just for salvation. It isn't just a ticket to heaven. It gets us through this life now. And his grace is sufficient for him. And so often in, uh, in our lives, I feel like what we end up doing is we just look at grace as as a, as a salvation, as, as something that saves us and nothing more. And we continue our life pretending or being the shoveler, the person who in his own strength 
is trying to get through life, right? But what this text is showing us, guys, is that grace sustains us in this life as well. We can become like the person in the plow who is weak because that person sitting in that plow knows that he can't move that snow on his own. He needs the plow to help him. And we as Christians can become like that, and, and we can see, and it's revealed to us right here, that Paul is what? He's, he's the plower. He's not doing this on his own strength. He's not breaking his own back uh, to do the work that God has called him to. He is the plower. He is uh, sitting in the comfy chair, content in his weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. A big part of this uh, passage, folks, Big Sandy Community Church of God, folks, because I'm talking to you, right? A big part of this passage, and something that we need to understand, and I think we miss, and I mostly say we miss because I know I miss it a lot, is that a part of understanding what it means to be strong in the Lord is learning that in order to do that, we have to acknowledge the fact that we're weak. And we can't be strong on our own. Right? We have to acknowledge the fact that without God, we are in the parking lot of the Big Sandy High School. And you see how big that parking lot is. The Big Sandy is a pretty big parking lot. And we're trying to plow it with that little shovel I have. And that's it. But a part of realizing that, a part of admitting that, is what it means for God to show his power through us. Because we admit our weaknesses. We realize that we are weak and need Jesus. And we become content. Because that's what Paul says, right? He says, if strength is found in Christ and I can only find power in him, then what am I going to do? I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm not going to boast in my supposed strengths that I think I have. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because through that, Christ will work. And through that, Christ will make himself known. So, I guess my challenge for you guys as I wrap up this sermon because I always go short, and I'm okay with that. It's a good day to do it, to go short. Um, as I want to challenge you guys to ask yourself the question, are you the shoveler? Are you trying to do this by yourself? Or are you the plower that's wholly dependent on the Lord to get you through the snowstorms of life? Does that make sense? A part of it, and it's something that I, I realized 
uh, as I've been growing myself, is a part of being content in where God has you or content in how God made you or content in um, like where he's placed you. A part of understanding that, too, is, is the point of all of this isn't to uh, just get us through the suffering times, but to reveal to us that even in the good or the bad times, we get Jesus, and that's the point. The point is, is Paul is trying to communicate to us this morning that if you're a Christian, your satisfaction and your contentedness is found in Jesus. It's not found in your work. It's not found in your perceived image of yourself. It's not found in how cool people think you are or are not. It is found in Christ. That is your identity. Um, There is a really good quote by John Piper. And he says, There it is. He says, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So if you want to know what it means to glorify God, pray and try to become the person who is satisfied in Him alone. That whether good or bad in this life, it doesn't matter. I got Jesus. Right? Uh you know, I've been, uh, I've been going through a little catechism with the youth group uh, since I took over the youth group. And uh, one of the questions I asked them that we went through a few weeks ago is, uh, how do you glorify God? And a big part of how we glorify God is, is we find our satisfaction in Him. Uh, but at the end, I kind of revealed the point that, like, we can't. We can't do that without Christ. We can't find our satisfaction in Him unless He first changes our hearts and gives us a desire to do that. And so, as I conclude, we're going we're gonna to take communion. And communion is a reminder of the gospel, right? Communion is a reminder that Christ came and he bled and he died for our sins to make us the type of people who are satisfied in Jesus. To make us the type of people who, when life gives us crud, it doesn't matter. We get him. It doesn't matter. I, I, can, I will go through it, whatever it is, and I will trust the Lord through it. And so my challenge for you is as we take the bread and as we uh, take the cup, and do we have guys to come forward? And, and uh, Awesome. If you guys want to come forward, um, that I want you guys to be thinking of this as we partake of communion this morning. I want you to pray, I want you to consider, and I want you to ask yourself if I'm the type of person who is satisfied in the Lord, and no matter what comes my way, I will trust Him, and I will make Him, uh, I, I will glorify Him, right? So yeah, let's take communion.